Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the HIV Podcast. Each week, we focus on a person, historical event, or pop culture moment linked to HIV and explore the story of what actually happened. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess. And between us, we've been working in the field of HIV for 40 years. Our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. Welcome to the HIV Podcast. Good morning. In autumn, in July. Oh, I don't mind it. Oh, I'm on board. I, autumn, my favourite season. If summer was like this, I'd, I'd be on board. Yeah, no, I'm all right with this. It's better than a heat, heat wave. So, like, we were discussing this this morning while I was out walking the dogs in the absolutely torrential rain. <laughs> and was like, it's better than a heat wave. I was like, it, it is. But right now, it doesn't feel that way. This is I'm definitely not- autumn. No. I, and I'm not mad about it. I'm welcoming that, you know. No, and we all know what's going to happen now. August, complete washout. September, kids back to school, heat wave. Oh, do you think? Is that your prediction? Your Michael? It fish? always happens. Autumn, very mild. Halloween disaster because everyone expects it to be cold and foggy and it will be mild and, you know, there'll be a slight chill. November, damp. December, cold. There you go. I don't even need to look at the weather now for the next, like, six months. No. Love and it. I uh, can add meteorologists to my list of skills. The ever-growing list of skills, Sarah. Okay, so I do want to talk about something this week, and I do sound Ooh. very serious. Mm-hmm. So this isn't about crisp sandwiches and chocolate buttons, Sarah. Okay. In our final trans and HIV episode, we had a discussion, didn't we, about how we need everybody to be on board where we're going with trying to end HIV transmissions by 2030. This made me think a bit. We've shared some images and some um, videos from our risk episode where we talked about biting, spitting, all sorts. And I think some people felt that perhaps we were like perpetuating old myths by bringing things like this up to talk about can you contract via saliva, via spitting, via biting. 
And for me, the reason I brought up the trans conversation that we had from last episode is because I sort of feel the same way about this. So I feel a bit like there are two camps and I, I do get where they're both coming from. So you have one where you have people who already have lots of knowledge around HIV, I think, saying, oh, why are we still going on about this? This is just going to perpetuate the stigma that still surrounds it. There's so much misinformation. We don't want to keep talking about this. We should have moved on. But then there's another camp where people don't have that knowledge. So just like we said, until everybody is educated, and don't get me wrong, I would love everyone to be like, oh, what a ridiculous thing that you have to keep talking about spitting in terms of HIV transmission. But there are tons of people that aren't aware that you can't contract that way. So we need to help everybody get educated because we can't elevate and reach 2030, you know, ending transmissions if we're leaving people behind. Does that make sense? I sort of think I do understand that we don't want to be perpetuating old, old stereotypes, but we need to give people the information. And something I do have to say is a really interesting thing is that was one of our most watched videos ever on TikTok, which tells me that people need that information. That's interesting. I think it's always good to cover the basics. And we know, both of us know that HIV is such a wide ranging topic these days. But yeah, you're right. We all need to be at the same starting point before we drive forward change. And we have a whole generation, as we know, of young people who have no sex education in school in the UK. I don't know about the rest of the world, but do listen to the podcast. So yeah, we need to make sure that everybody is fully aware of risks and is informed. And we know, don't we, from our own service users, from the people that we test, that HIV knowledge is pretty basic all these years later. Yeah, absolutely. So what like I totally appreciate people feeling like, oh, I don't want to keep going over this. I do get that. That's definitely not what we're trying to do. We just want everyone to, like I've said, be at the same level. I do share people's frustration though, but all of that would be helped by a new national campaign. So there we go. That's my serious Sally moment. So that's it. That's all I've got. I, I and I'm probably just stalling a bit because I remember you told me this is going to be really sad. That was a big intake of breath, wasn't it? It was. Really filled my lungs up. Well, I hope you're going to say something profound. No. Before we start, I've been working on our images for the CCTV wire. Oh, no. But I got a little bit sidetracked. I feel like this is going to be really insulting to me. Not insulting. I've only really done me, if I'm honest, because I am that narcissistic. Okay. This is me. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Your eyes aren't that small, just so you know. I don't know if you know that. Well, I don't think my mouth's that big either, and I think my hair's a bit thicker. And I've got no ears or a neck. It is a start, Sarah. That's that's correct. If nothing but else... then I thought, do you know what? I think I look like this. What is This that? is them um, from the tweenies. Now, we all know that I'm scarred by having to watch numerous children's programmes when the kids were little. And I was like, God, I do actually quite look like this person. I can't remember her name. So it's a character from the tweenies. Is that still on? Is that still a thing? Uh, God, it probably is on repeat forever. I said to my son the other day, I said, oh, do you remember in the mornings before school, we used to watch the tweenies? And then we'd go off and he'd just like, what? And I said, do you know the tweenies? Watched it every single morning. Not a clue. Re- yes, but it's burnt into your memory forever, I see. Here's another tweenie, just in case. This is what I was going to base you on. You do look a little bit similar. I quite like that. I quite like the dungarees. Is that what made you? Mm. This queenie is blue and wearing dungarees. I would wear all of that. 
Mm. I don't think your face is the same shade of blue, if I'm honest. Well, I look forward to seeing your masterpiece. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's get started. Enough of this shenanigans. So, okay, yes. So this is a, it's a bit more of a sad, it's, well, look, I'll start again. We are featuring young people and we featured young people before. We don't do it very often because I know you get very emotional. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're really not going to like what's coming, but I've given you all the notice I can. And I think, considering we've just had a conversation about how we need to move on and not keep coming out with the same messages that uh, we had to in the 80s. Um, do you know what? We are going back to the 80s. What, literally, like generally as a as a whole or right now? No, this episode is in the 80s. I see. But do you know what? I think it is important to remind ourselves what life was like in the 80s if you were HIV positive. Because if we don't remember that, then A, we're doing the people that experienced it a massive disservice. And B, I think sometimes it can evidence how far we've come. And and we do need to preserve our history and talk about our HIV history. We really do. It's so important. Yeah. And I think we can also become a bit desensitised especially working in the industry to everything that we hear. And we need to, you know, if we're going to eradicate stigma, if we're going to try and normalise HIV, we need to look at those times, remember those times and ensure that they never, ever happen again. Okay, so this episode, look at your little anxious face. I'm not ready for it. Like, do you know what? I've just booked to go and see the Barbie movie later this week and I already oh, know I'm really? going to cry. Yeah, I know I'm going to like literally cry so much about it. Oh, I must just know. So have you not seen the write-ups about it? Well, I ha- I mean, everybody's raving about it, aren't they? And everyone's saying that it's, you know, moved them to tears. So, I mean, it's a no-go for me from, from that point of view. See, I don't really go to the cinema. I don't really enjoy the cinema at all. But I was like, oh, my God, I really want to go and see this at the cinema after reading all the rules. But anyway, the point is, I know it's going to make me cry. So I'm already braced this week, Sarah. So I guess this is a little bit of a an intro to that. This won't make you cry. I hope not. God, so do I. God, what a downer. Okay, we are looking at a little girl called Eliana Martinez. Okay. And she was born in 1981. She was born prematurely in Puerto Rico. And in the first four months of her life, she received 39 blood transfusions. So she was very, very poorly. One of those blood transfusions she received was positive for HIV. Her biological parents, they they struggled to cope. She had four older siblings. And after having spent the first 11 months in hospital, she was adopted by Joe and Rosa Martinez. Uh, initially, they lived in Puerto Rico and then they moved to Tampa in Florida. And Eliana starts her education in a setting for children with cerebral palsy. Why? Well, Eliana had some ongoing health challenges and she was initially diagnosed with cerebral palsy. She hadn't been tested for HIV. I mean, she did have um, some other health challenges as well. So I think it's quite a complex. Oh, okay. So picture. it's not just one thing. Yeah, you've got a ton of different things. A whole host of things, right. yeah. Most of which because she was born, say, prematurely. Now she starts school. She then moves schools. And it's very hard, actually, to determine, because we are going back to 1984 here, whether she was at a playgroup or a preschool. But the main thing to remember is that she was in an education setting. Right, okay. 
In November 1984, Eliana began getting ill, enlarged lymph nodes, skin infections. And then in December that year, she was admitted to hospital and she was told, Rosa, her mum, was told that they suspected Eliana had AIDS-related complex. Wait, but had she been tested yet or not? They tested her in hospital. Okay, so they did test her in hospital and then said this is yeah. the age that she's Well, at. they told Rosa, first of all, they suspected she had this. Right. Her diagnosis wasn't confirmed until April 1985, so that's four months later. But with the symptoms that she's now presenting with, they're like, we're pretty sure that she's got AIDS or AIDS-related complex. Mm. And there you go. So the th- symptoms that they thought were cerebral palsy, they are, in fact, symptoms related to an untreated HIV infection. Oh, gosh, she's been through so much already. And she's only, what, four? Yes. And pictures of her. She's tiny, like, oh, beautiful, but very tiny. Anyway, she gets better. And in March 1986, Rosa is trying to get Eliana admitted to school. Now, Eliana's got learning difficulties. She needs to go to a school that could cater for her needs. And also to give her the best education opportunities, where what every parent wants for their child. Yeah. Rosa had found a school that she thought could meet Eliana's needs. School, not so keen on admitting her. The school district want her taught at home. They're worried she could transmit HIV to others. Right. I'm going to, I'm calming myself down because I'm reminding myself this is in the 80s. It's not present day. I'm not saying that makes it all right, but... We'll have to remember the time that this was happening in. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we've been down this route before, haven't we, with Ryan White. He was older. He was 13. She is only five. So she wouldn't have understood what was going on. Now, Rosa appeals against the decision not to school her child. The appeal was denied. uh, So she files a legal complaint. Rosa's quite feisty. I like Rosa. Uh, She filed a legal complaint in September 1987, and in August 1988, a judge rules that that Eliana can attend school, but only if she's isolated by transparent partitions from the other students. Stop it, you're joking. I'm not joking. Now, they have said until she's toilet trained and has learned to stop sucking her fingers. I mean, she's seven and she has additional needs, but that is what they ruled. So, I mean, just it, that is like that stereotype of being like, just put someone in like a plastic orb, like visions of, do you remember in E.T. when like yes. Elliot, like E.T. had to go into that like plastic room? That's what it's like. I know. This is what the 80s was like. And the school district start constructing the booth for her. So she can't actually really interact with the other children. No, only through the transparent perspex of her booth. Who came Isn't up with it? that idea? A little transparent prison. Yes. For a child of seven. It it does blow my mind. So adults in an education setting think that this is acceptable in 1988. Again, I mean, I don't know why you like the 80s, Sarah. We haven't talked about the 80s for a very long time, and I feel like this is why. Well, I did not like this aspect of the 80s. Absolutely crackers. Uh, Razor's having none of this, by the way. She files a notice of appeal and another judge rules that Eliana should, should continue to be homeschooled until the appeal can be heard. And in December 1988, the Court of Appeal returns the case to the original judge. Almost sidestepping, aren't they? Making any decisions themselves. Yeah. But they said that Eliana should be placed in the least restrictive environment unless evidence proved she was a significant risk to other children. 
which is sensible. So the original ruling has changed. So the original ruling is that she has to sit in these in an isolation booth. That's overturned. Okay. Wow. So basically they're saying that they don't believe there is significant risk. So she can go to school like any other child. And that is exactly what she does. There's one thing for a judge's ruling to say something, but how does the school react? Do they adhere to it or is it difficult? Well, the, the very sad thing in this case is that seven months after Eliana returned to school, she passed away. She is remembered on the AIDS memorial quilt. But for those seven months, you would hope that she had the happiest time at school and that she was treated without kind of any fear or any stigma. Well, hopefully, if there's nothing written about this, if it's not been documented, then we would hope that that is what happened. Because obviously, as you mentioned, Ryan White, we know there were protests. We know all of that happened because people didn't want him attending the school. So hopefully Mm. that is what happened. Oh, only seven months. I know. So what we're going to look at is what swayed the judge to change their decision. Because, you know, that was quite a harsh ruling, I think. And they obviously were fearful that other children within that school would contract HIV. So to do a complete U-turn, what happened? Yeah, what did happen? Well, we're going to look at another case that was quoted during Eliana's court case. And it's the oh, case thank of... God. The- only because I have to stop you there, so I have to butt in. Only because I thought you were like, oh, why did they do this? Well, we're just going to go and look at something else. I thought, what, what are we doing? Well, we're just going on to something else. Give me the answers, but I'm with you now. I see what's going we on. We will. So, yes. So there was another case that was created during Eliana's court case, and it's the case of the Ray brothers. So we're looking at um, a very remarkable family, but they face so much prejudice. But they did pave the way for other children like Eliana. So the Ray brothers are three brothers, Ricky, Robert and Randy. There was also a sister as well, but the three brothers are haemophiliacs and they're all diagnosed with HIV in 1986 because they had an HIV infected infusion of factor eight. Sister's HIV negative. She doesn't have haemophilia. And they lived in Arcadia in Florida, Florida again, um, until they were exiled by their community because people were so fearful of contracting HIV. And they were also... I know, refused entry to their school, an elementary school in DeSoto County. So they went to court and they won. Boys were allowed back into school. The families also offered $1.1 million in settlement. This is in uh, 1987. Yeah, so that's massive. Yeah. Yeah. So the court seen since, and this is then being used, obviously, in Eliana's case, but actually not so good for the family because throughout this time, they are receiving threatening phone calls. Parents are keeping their children away from the school. Got so bad that the family felt they couldn't live in the family home anymore. They moved to stay elsewhere. And thank goodness they did, because after the court case decision, their family home was burnt to the ground. The police said it was probably arson and the fire was reportedly started in the boys' bedroom. That's horrendous. What is wrong with people? What's wrong with people in the 80s? I mean, yeah, thank God they did. Thank God they did go. Because I'm sure there's that part of you, isn't there, that thinks, no, I'm not going to be run out of my home and where I want to live, where I've chosen to be. But actually, sometimes that's a better decision. Yeah. And they definitely made the right decision in this case. I mean, they never went back to Arcadia. I wouldn't, would you? Good God, someone just burnt your home to the ground. They made a new home in Sarasota. Uh, The boys were able to attend school, but they did experience stigma from groups like Citizens Against AIDS. Now, I can't find anything on this group on the internet, so I hope whoever set them up has realised the error of their ways. 
what was their purpose? I mean, I know that's probably a stupid question because it probably seems quite obvious, but it, what what were the what were the activities that they did? There's very little about them. So I mean, as always, we've listed all the sources, and this came out of a newspaper article. But oh God, I mean, can you imagine even setting up a group like that? I, well, I don't. You say that. I mean, there are a lot of. We won't name any of them. There are a lot of horrendous groups that people have set up and are still going. And I'm like, why? 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 So I'm not going to mention any of them because we're not going to give them airtime, Sarah. But who does? Who goes? Yeah, this hate-filled group. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just target a community and yeah I don't understand it I don't understand how some people are so hateful no I don't particularly when there are children involved yeah I mean it's completely unnecessary and this family you know three of their children are haemophiliacs so there's lots of kind of stress and around that anyway because you know each of the children has got a lifelong condition that they're having to manage and you know, through no fault of their own, they're all contracted HIV. And some Wally thinks, do you know what would help in this situation? Setting up a group against them. No, so weird. Yeah. Where's the empathy or the understanding? I, I know people were very scared in the 80s and very fearful, but surely your moral compass would direct you to at least educate yourself and find some empathy. I don't know. I I think because I was trying to think about it in terms of like present day. And I think I think it sounds a lot like present day, you know, like when COVID was going on and we had like tons of people who aren't educating themselves, like loads of anti-vaxxers. And what? yeah, I feel like it's the same back then. They're like, no, not going to get educated. I'm just going to assume I know this or it's word of mouth that, you know, how you get your education. And it's yeah, it's craziness. Absolutely crazy. Don't people, I don't, I can't understand it. I cannot understand how someone can give a viewpoint that's based on no education at the risk of making themselves look really stupid and horrible and just not care about that. Well, is, that's literally, isn't that what we coin ignorance? And they can't see it. I just find it really fascinating. Yeah, it's very odd. But I mean, they've been through so much already. Like, why start this group to campaign against them yeah no they, they, because i don't know did they just not care that people would think they looked horrible well maybe there were lots of people that wanted to get involved maybe actually that's the thing at the time you're saying people are scared and often i suppose when people are scared they go on the they go on the attack sometimes yeah maybe and i suppose well yeah, it's no different i suppose to other prejudices that we hear about today yeah is it but I think even those people, even today's people who generate stigma or prejudice, make themselves look stupid. They're going, you know, well, actually, no one's there kind of openly going, oh, God, you, know, you are one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. And yet people still jump on the bandwagon, don't they? Yeah, I think now it's harder, though, isn't it, nowadays? Because you've got like fake news and Facebook and just perpetuating this. And you can, you can find loads of people that agree with your opinions. But I think, yes, there are news channels, aren't there, that are there to stoke fear and stigma and discrimination and and they can openly broadcast their very prejudiced views. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's what they're for, isn't it? You know, we have different newspapers, don't we, and different media for different, I suppose, moral and political persuasions. Like, we know this. So Okay. So it would have been the same in the 80s, wouldn't it? When you've got, be. Yeah. Oh, but there's children involved. Those poor children. I know. And do we know how old the boys were? Right. I do know when they were born. 
1977, 1978, 1979. Gosh, they were close together. And this is all happening in 1987. So they're what, 10, 9, and 8. Oh, God. So still little. Very little. Yeah. Must have been scary. Well, we're going to look at something now from the Ray Court case. Um, and it was also included in Eliana's court case as well. And the wording, I think the wording might give us a clue as to why there was so much prejudice. So read out in court, while we wait for medical science to save us from what many think may be a raging, indiscriminate inferno, it's the task of this court to deal with the here and now of this lethal, inevitably fatal disease for which there is currently no inoculation and no cure. The mystery of the virus and its communicability challenges jurists legally to be assured our decisions do not lead us to allow proliferation of this disease by our ignorance. Wow, that's quite the speech. I know what they're trying to say is, you know, what should happen in court decisions should be based on fact. But the language, a lethal disease, no cure, mystery of the virus, it's very dramatic. It's very dramatic and very scary. And actually, when you compare it to these boys who are, what, seven, eight and nine or eight, nine and ten, whatever we said they were, you know, these are people, they're children. And we're talking about this lethal inferno. It's just like, jeez. Yeah. I know. And then the language to say that, um, you know, we mustn't allow proliferation of this disease by our ignorance, which, again, is very dramatic. But that, as a judge, I mean, basically what they're saying is that, you know, you need to be educated before you make any decisions. And we know there wasn't a lot of education around at the time. Yeah. So I can see why a judge would just go, crikey, I think we'll just shove this child in an isolation booth and hope for the best, or we'll make sure these three boys don't go back to school, even though they've been there forever and yeah. haven't infected anyone. People lost their common sense, didn't they? Well, I think that's the thing, isn't it? I think it's panic, isn't it? And it's you're trying to protect yourself and your family. So they're asking judges to um, kind of trust medical evidence, make decisions from their own conscience. Very, I, it was a difficult place for judges to be. Yeah. So they didn't have enough information. So in Eliana's case, there was conflicting medical information um, from the doctors who were consulted. I think there were five in total, and they couldn't agree on how much of a risk she was because she wasn't toilet trained and because she drooled. Right. Okay. They're saying there's not enough information for us to decide in either case whether she would be able to pass the infection on. But on the flip side of that, this is a child that has been in an education setting when they thought she had cerebral palsy. And hadn't passed the virus on to anybody. But that yeah. seems to just have been disregarded. Of course, because they'll have just have, they'll have decided that that was just, you know, lucky that that's mm. how that didn't happen. And so now they must put in all these precautions. And then the Ray brothers, well, that case is more clear cut. But again, common sense should prevail. These are three little boys that have been going to school since yeah. kindergarten and haven't passed on the virus to anybody else. I wonder if there are any cases, well, there must be some cases, but I, I wonder if we could find any around um, any positive children that faced anything like this in in the UK. Got an episode coming up about that. Don't oh, you worry. Yes, we're going to look at how the UK compares and some interesting cases there as well. But I think judges in the 80s, people making decisions in education, I just think they lost their mind, completely lost their common sense around HIV. 
Oh, I think there was an awful lot of public pressure as well, though, wasn't there? You know, and people protesting, pulling their kids out of school. It, yeah, it would have been a difficult time to be a judge to rule on things around HIV. It would. But then I do think they should have taken into, well, yeah, they should have taken into context that there were, there were no other cases in the world of a child passing on HIV through not being toilet trained. No, I'm with you. Common sense goes out the window, doesn't it? It doesn't. Surely by the late 80s, we understood more about how HIV was transmitted. I mean, the five doctors in Eliana's case, she can read through all the court notes, um, they did have conflict in opinions. Not all her doctors were include, uh, involved in her HIV care, but the ones that weren't involved seemed to carry more weight than the ones that were. It was a, It was a very mixed picture. It's just a sad journey of people trying to find their way and get to grips with something that was new. I suppose yeah. in some ways it was a little bit like COVID and, you know, lots of people lost their minds, didn't they, when COVID came out and how you could contract, contract it. We've said this before, haven't we, everyone bleaching their shopping. And- exactly, washing your shopping in the bath. And now we'd look back at that and be like, that is not how you're going to contract a virus. No, but a lot of it was perpetuated, wasn't it, by the media? Oh, I remember going massively out of my way to avoid people when I was out, you know, when we were allowed our daily walk, very consciously crossing the road. Exactly. Or do you remember, like, say if you did have to go into the shop when we were queuing and things like that and you needed to cough. Oh, my goodness. I would try and stifle that as much as I could because you knew how you felt when you saw someone else coughing and everyone would turn and stare at them like, oh, my God, they've got COVID. Like, craziness so we were we have almost lived through something similar don't get me wrong I'm by no means saying they're the same but we have lived through something similar and we have watched people kind of lose their minds a bit over it lose their common sense you're right and the scaremongering it, it just goes off the scale doesn't it yeah and it is scary it does feel scary and you you, you know it's it's easy to get whipped up in it it is yes no you're right actually I think it is that you and sometimes it's just easier to get on board, isn't it, or not trust your own instincts and think surely you shouldn't be bleaching everything. That, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. But then you're like, well, everyone else is doing it. Yeah, mm, interesting time. So anyway, look, it wasn't so bad, was it? This that wasn't bad. Paid. And we, of course, dedicated to Eliana, Ricky, Robert, and Randy because they were very, very brave children. Look, I think I think it's important that we go back and we look back at these cases like we talked about. It's important to go back to the 80s. It's important to talk about our history. And uh, you're keeping it alive, Sarah, keeping our HIV history alive. Well, there you go. Well, you are the HIV historian, so it's kind of your job. See, I mean, I have so many titles. It's, it is a burden, I'm not going to lie. Your email signature will get so long in the end. You know, like how people put like the little initials or whatever they are afterwards. You should have it like historian, doctor. Uh, meteorologist you know on and on it will go Sarah oh yes it will chocolatier that's a good one a chocolatier did you hear this right Will told me about this Will Hampson did you hear I mentioned it at the start of the episode obviously I said to him Sarah would be devastated if they were stopping big chocolate buttons the giant ones but apparently they're stopping the little ones how do you feel about that are they yeah apparently so he sent me an article about it oh well, that's because their sales of big chocolate buttons have gone through the roof. Is that because you, it, that was you? Yeah, I was going to say, you switched over. You just stopped buying the little ones. So once you've gone large, you can't go back, Jess. Oh, Sarah, that has just so many, so many puzzle meanings. <laughs> Do you know, you know what I mean? 
I mean, I guess so. So I bought a packet of chocolate buttons the other day, like a little packet, right? And I expected them to be little and they weren't. They were big. So to me, they're all big. Where are the small ones? Where have they gone? I don't know. Because you get those massive packets, don't you? That everyone sends you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, is someone grumpy that she's not received any crisps? A little bit jealous, but that's fine, you know? Buy my own crisps, guys. Jesus. (laughs) But you buy the big packs, don't you? You don't have the little ones. Family packs, yes. Okay. And do you share it as a family? Try not to, but they they found my stash. And so now they think it's as as a family. It most certainly is not. Oh, it's fair game. Yeah, no, you need, you need new hiding spaces. I have to hide crisps from Ben because he would just eat them. And then he promises to replace them and he doesn't. But see, I find it's just rude, isn't it? It's like it's my food, my chocolate for me. I I give enough to my family. You probably give enough to Ben's. They just stop it. Yeah, exactly. Stay away. We need to get proper lock boxes, Sarah. That's what we need. Security, like a safe. I do have a safe and only I know the code. So maybe I'll just start putting them in there. I feel like you're like a a rich woman that has like a tiara. Why have you got a safe? Just for um, like passports and stuff. Where do you keep your passports? In your own house. You know you're not in a hotel room. Yes. I just keep it in a drawer. It's just got all like, I'm not going to tell you what it's got in there, actually. I don't, yeah. (laughs) Don't give it all away. But I have never heard of someone having a safe for their own parcel in their own home. Right. So I always thought that when you're on holiday or you're abroad, that you put your passport in the safe because obviously there could be any kind of mix up where someone else could get into your room or whatever. So you put it in there to be safe, right? To keep it safe. That's why it's called a safe. Why do you need it in your own house? Oh, my God, I feel like she's keeping Fraser some sort of hostage and he's trying to get away, but he can't. She's, like, locked his passport up. Just to keep everything safe. I don't trust safes on holiday in a hotel. No, I would just wear everything all over me at all times, like in in a massive, enormous bum bag. I love the image of that. Sarah having a relaxing holiday with all the valuables on her. Secreted around my body. Secreted? That doesn't sound right secreted hidden hidden let's go with hidden all over the place lying on a sunbed unable to move in case i drop something yeah exactly i mean someone could literally just mug you that's what they need to do because they'd get everything yeah it's not the best plan i'd have to hide some on the kids as well it's not a good strategy but um well stick your chocolate buttons in the safe so you'll have passports and chocolate buttons in there that is a good idea yes stop people from stealing them Yeah, perfect. I mean, let's just make sure they're sealed, though. You don't want them melting on the passports. Thanks for listening to the HIV podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can now also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the HIV podcast for behind the scenes insights and video. The HIV podcast is produced by Thames Valley Positive Support. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.